Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Whether it be through prescribed behaviors, rituals, or practices, every religion in the world teaches that if we desire to know God, it is our responsibility to find Him and know Him. Christianity, however, teaches something very different. Christianity teaches that God has come to us and has revealed His love for us by putting on flesh in Jesus Christ and by giving us His Word through which He continues to speak to us today. We're glad you've joined us as Pastor Jay continues leading us through the Bible right here, right now on The Eternal Connection. And once again, you are eternally connected. Welcome aboard. This is Pastor Eric J. from St. Mark Lutheran Church leading you through the Bible, God's word of salvation, the power of salvation given to us, the word that points to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We're glad you've joined us today as we continue to make our way through our series entitled People of the Book, looking at prominent uh, saints in Scripture, uh, the broken men and women God has used to bring salvation for a broken people, uh, which is good news because I'm joined in studio by two other broken guys. Yes. Chip, Jason, how we doing? Absolutely great. Thank you so much. Good. Good, good and broken. <laughs> and forgiven. And forgiven. That's the most important part. <laughs> That's right. Well, we've got an exciting uh, four weeks or so coming up at uh, St. Mark. There's not many things that make a, a pastor happier, at least this one, than baptism. Absolutely. Uh, the way that God brings his salvation to us, even for those little ones that we talked about this past week at St. Mark. Uh, we've got four baptisms in a row. Wow. Planned. <laughs> yeah, line so, them up. Uh, That's October's awesome. going to be a wonderful month. Jesus says, don't let the children. Children, uh, uh, don't stop the children from coming to me, and we're not. We're going to bring them to them one right after another. And then uh, a week in between, and then our uh, school kids from our brand new school are going to sing on uh, October 22nd. Cool. That'll be awesome. And uh, share what a friend we have in Jesus. It's a really cool rendition of that hymn that they're going to be doing. So lots of good stuff uh, in addition to working our way through the good word. We're Indeed. talking about David today. We talked about uh, Samuel, uh, the first prophet officially speaking in that office. Of course, Moses was too, as we touched on. And then the first king, Saul, and unfortunately, his fall from grace. And we're going to be looking at God's work to continue his promise, to uphold his promise by searching for another king and uh, bringing David aboard. Before that, Chip, why don't you pray for us? Okay, well, you know, I thought that this morning I would pray uh, based on uh, Romans eleven thirty three to twelve one, I was reading that this morning, and I thought, you know what, this is a great, uh, a great little segment, and I think it's very appropriate to use as a prayer. Uh, he is in this psalm uh, quoting a part of Isaiah as well as Job. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how unscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 All right, as we continue our series on people of the book, we're looking at King David, who, as we'll learn, is the second king of Israel. 
And the reason there had to be a second is uh, the first one didn't work out so well. Uh, God warned his people when they asked for a king. He warned them through Samuel. Uh, this isn't going to go the way you think. Uh, but like we talked about, as all sinful people do, we, we want to chase after the things of this world. We want to chase after our own glory, our own power, our own kingdom. And the Lord had warned Israel, if you do that, um, you're really going to be working against my kingdom. As he told Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me as their king. And for reasons that only sin can explain, they said, yep, that's what we want to do. And so it did not go well, just like the Lord said it wouldn't. Saul disobeyed the Lord's command, assumed to take the role of God when it came to the sacrifices reserved for prophets and priests. And uh, Samuel essentially said, the kingdom's going to be torn away from you. Uh, if you turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 13, looking at verse 14, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, this is Samuel addressing Saul, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And although Saul's going to continue on as king for a little while, even after David has been anointed, there's a transition that's not going to go well either. Um, he has officially been rejected as king. The reason that Saul is rejected, I think, is important to point out. Samuel says it's, you haven't been after the heart of God. The Lord's looking for a man after his own heart. What do you think that means, a man after God's own heart? That's a million-dollar question because you got to figure out even who God is to you first. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to learn, and and it, it doesn't happen overnight, you know. At what point God comes to any of these kings and figures out if they're a worthy enough person on the planet? Yeah. like Well, I think that kind of plays into trying to figure out what, it means to be a man after God's own heart and what it doesn't mean, right? I mean, we, we haven't, as, as we've covered the people of the book, everyone from Adam and Eve who fell from sin, right, to Moses who was a murderer, to Abraham who was a pagan. Now we're on to Samuel and Saul, both sinners. Clearly, uh, God only has sinners to work with, right? So being a man after God's own heart doesn't necessarily mean you're worthy, and that no one would be qualified. So what does it mean? I think it's, it probably has to do with repentance. I mean, when, we, when God reveals who he is and who we are, that should, well, it does. It elicits a change. We either run the other way and say, I don't want anything to do with you, or we change. Yeah. And he's the one that affects the change. He gets all the glory for it and all the credit for it. But it's being willing to be changed, I guess. Yeah, I think very simply it means wanting what God wants. Mm -hmm. right? If I'm a man after God's heart, I'm going to say, I, Lord, I want your heart to be mine. I want what you want. I don't want what you don't want. And, and it certainly doesn't mean that we're perfect. David's going to prove to be quite the sinner. Sure. Yep. <laughs> um, but it does mean that there is, as you said, Chip, repentance. That when we look to the heart of God, a God who's delivered his people from Egypt, even David looking back, right? This is a Lord who has been patient over generations with a sinful, rebellious people. 
who's always faithful to forgive when there is repentance, who set up a sacrificial system just for that reason, right? So a man after God's own heart doesn't necessarily mean you've got God all figured out, but it means that you do trust in him insofar as he has revealed himself up to this point. And that's really something you never see from Saul, if you read through the whole story, is a true heartfelt repentance to God. He's certainly sorry over the consequences and the loss of the kingdom. Because he got caught. Yeah, and he got punished, <laughs> uh-huh. right? Yeah. But that's not a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart says, "I," as we say in the Lutheran Confession of Sins, uh, I am deserving of your punishment both now and for eternity. And, and your judgments are right. And falling on the mercy of God, which even in his worst moments, David will do. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of that is the simple acknowledgement that he is God. Yeah. Yeah. For one of the moments for me was just as a human here to realize like, you know what? Yeah. I've got about zero power. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although it's really easy to wake up every day and feel like you've got it all. Sure. Sure. Well, I think that is our daily struggle. Yeah, and it's one that, if if we're not asking, I would suggest if we're not proactively asking God for help in that arena, um, we probably should. Mm-hmm. Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me know that you're God and I'm not. Help me have a heart that you want me to have. That's yours. And Jesus includes that in the Lord's prayer too, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's In asking for God's kingdom, we are also with that, asking ours not to be. And that's what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Certainly can't do it perfectly, but in the grace of God that has been here even since the Old Testament, we can be that man after God's own heart. So that's what the Lord said. Through his prophet Samuel, you have not been after God's kingdom. You've been after your own. So then God's kingdom is taken from you. And God's going to go look for a man after his own heart. Then if we jump to 1 Samuel 15, uh, starting in verse 34, this is the end of Saul's relationship with Samuel. Uh, It says, Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. I think that is just a, a, a beautiful picture of Samuel, who tried to fight against this, but then obeyed the Lord, even knowing Saul wasn't going to go well, even having to be the one that brought chastisement upon Saul, yet he still grieved in his heart. Not necessarily over Saul so much, I think, as we'll see, but over the fact that this is what's happening to God's people, Israel. And I find the last part of that statement remarkable. The Lord regretted something. And that kind of points back to earlier when he, during the days of Noah, when he caused the flood, he had, mm-hmm. he regretted that he made everybody to think that 
the God of the universe who created everything would regret something that he did. That's remarkable. Yeah. You don't want to let your dad down. You don't want to let your mom, your parent. And, and when you, when you let God down to the point where they, you know, the Lord regretted it. I mean, that's seemed very big. Yeah. It, it, it should kind of tug at our heartstrings, right? We, we, the only reason we're here is because God so mercifully gave us life and all he asked for us to do was was live faithfully and thankfully for that life by listening to him. And and when we don't, uh, that's what causes regret in the heart of the Lord. I think it's important to mention that, you know, God didn't regret it in the sense that, oh, he thought it was going to work. No, right. But then yeah, it, sure. it didn't, right? Because God said, this is not going to work. So the regret is is a what we call anthropomorphic language. It's it's using something we can relate to to communicate the heart of God. God regretted that he made humanity is a way of expressing the heartache that God experienced. Um, not necessarily that God had a whoopsie daisy. Right. <laughs> right? Uh, yes. No, that's and good. So good that's that's important clarification. Mm-hmm. You can't forget that God said through Samuel, this isn't going to end well, but give it to the people. Uh, and really give it to them so that they can see that God is the only king you should ever desire. Every other king is going to fail, and every other king will. And, yeah. and some natural, like, as you were originally reading that, in my head, silently, I'm like, got some armchair quarterback going on, thinking like, man, this guy really messed it up, and he let God down big. Like, I could have done this way better, and then I'm like, I mean, clearly not. He's never chose me, you know. <laughs> but yeah, well, I and I, I was just going to say, I think uh, making mistakes is uniquely human. God doesn't make mistakes, right? So even when he he chooses to make Saul king, in his wisdom, knowing, mm-hmm. right? Same same thing when he created humanity. That's a question all the time. If God knew that we were going to sin against him, why did he make us in the first place? Well, because God is not only a God of justice; he's a God of love, right? And he wants to express his heart, which includes grace and forgiveness and mercy. And so, yes, even in that infinite wisdom, that's how he perfectly chose to reveal himself to his creation, even knowing what would happen. Even knowing Chip would be born someday. (laughs) He's still kind of mulling that one. Yeah. (laughs) So that brings us to 1 Samuel 16. Remember, Samuel has been grieving over Saul. And then the Lord says something Pretty astonishing if you're reading this in context. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. What do you make of that? How long will you grieve over Saul? I mean, essentially, he's saying, enough. Why are you still grieving? I mean, should Samuel not be grieving? Well, I would assume that it's because God pretty much made a decision and told Samuel what it was, so he should get on with it. (laughs) Yeah, God said it. Yeah, I mean that's that's a profound statement, right? It, it's a sad thing. There's no doubt about it, right? This this shouldn't be how it went, right? This is what God warned against. 
but God rejected him. So even when, when God does hard things, things that are hard for us, things we don't understand, God's expectation is if I've moved on, you move on. Even if it's hard because you trust me and his perfect judgment, even if it means difficult things, sad things, even if it means grieving. Hmm. So he says, essentially, that, move on, fill your horn with oil, which refers to the process of anointing someone. So back then, you would use oil and pour it over their head, and that would be the process of anointing them and marking them uh, as as someone special and set apart. Mm -hmm. I'll send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, and I'll provide for myself a king. And this is where we start to get these overtones of the Savior that's coming, the king of salvation. We certainly don't have time in this series, but as you go later on to 2 Samuel 7, when David is wanting to build a house for the Lord, after they've settled in Jerusalem, the Lord tells David, no, I'm the Lord. You're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you, and it's going to come through your son, which is both talking about Solomon, David's son, but also talking about his lineage that is eventually going to bring about the Savior. So this is why you go to the New Testament, and Jesus, the Messiah, is referred to as son of David. That's one of his titles. Because God promised through David, through the line of this man who was after God's own heart, would come the Messiah. The human Savior would be born from David's line. And it's significant that it's David, not because of David, and he's going to prove that. Right. But because God chose David. Yeah, he provided for himself. God is the one doing the work. Everything. Yep. Yep. And he even does it through sinners, right? Yep. So sinners can't take credit for it. David can't take credit for being a king. And God provides for himself people who are Christians. God provides for himself those who are saved. Because if it were up to us, as the prophet Isaiah will say later, later, no one loves God. No one seeks him out. No one does good. All of us have gone astray. Even our best works are like filthy rags. So God get God has to choose a people for himself. And that's not only what he has done with David, but it's what he has done with us. Mm-hmm. And that's the great comfort is that we know God because God has drawn us to his son. He has chosen us. That's the only hope that we have. Now, it's not that God doesn't choose other people, right? I mean, he died for the sins of the whole world. But as we have seen, even with Saul, we do have the ability to reject it. We don't have the ability to choose God for ourselves. But we have always had the ability with our parents, Adam and Eve, to reject the Lord's word, to reject his gift of life. There's still a lot to soak in there. You, We, we didn't get the opportunity, each one of us didn't get the opportunity to reject being born. Right. And we certainly don't get the opportunity to reject dying. Right. So in between there. It's only God. Yeah. I mean, unless someone figures out a way to switch any of those around on their own, I don't see how we got much say in the matter. Right. Uh, We do have a say. 
Well, but to say has always been to reject, not to choose. Adam and Eve didn't choose to be born. We can't choose to be saved. We can only choose to reject what God has given us. Because Jesus died before anyone listening to this show was born. He paid for your sins before you were even around. He didn't need your permission. Your sins are paid for. But we are quick to give the permission. Well, we think, yeah, we think that's our job. Yeah. But it's not. Our, and, and when we think that way, we deprive ourselves of the very joy of salvation. I believe because the Lord has given that to me. And that's my hope. Even when, like David, who is a man after God's own heart, is going to go kill his best friend to cover up his adultery. Mm-hmm. At that point, if salvation's up to David, David's condemned forever. But no. David is redeemed because God chose him. I was mulling over the phrase, I think I'm a pretty good person this week, because I'd, I'd heard that a couple times over the week. And, you know, the idea that if that were the case, then God wouldn't have had to send Jesus to die to pay for our sins, if, if it was possible for us to be, oh, I, I think I'm good enough. And, you know, no matter how good we think we are, it's not enough. It's not even close. Right. That's why we have to have Jesus. We have to have what God did for us. End of story. And that's part of what God's doing here through calling David, mm-hmm. is he is going to make sure that his promise stands, that the promise he made to Abraham is, is, is going to be fulfilled to all the nations of the world. So he tells Samuel to go, and Samuel does go. That's what it says in verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And when he got there, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit through the rest of 1 Samuel 16. <clears throat> he comes to Jesse, and Jesse has seven sons. Uh, well, he has eight, but when Samuel gets there, there's seven. And the first one he sees, Eliab, Samuel thought, surely this is the Lord's That's anointing. That's the guy. That's, That's the, the guy. guy. He yep. must have looked a lot like Saul. Yep. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> right? And, and, but then the Lord says to Samuel something that's huge in verse 7. He says, do not look upon his appearance. Remember Saul? Stop. Don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. So that's like, um, you know, you, the, the visual exterior is kind of a cover layer, and, and, and God's looking far beyond that. Yeah, the colloquialism that would be appropriate is don't ju- judge a book by its cover, right? The cover, the cover really doesn't mean anything. Well, an analogy I've used a lot, you know, as people, we have lots of layers. And depending on who you're friends with, family with, coworkers, we all kind of expose various layers to each other. And and some of those layers are very polite and friendly, and others get to be more true and accurate of a person, and they can get darker, brighter. But God can see through all those layers, no matter how much you just decide to expose to your friend, family, or coworker, he'll see the truth. Yep. Yeah. And so he says, nope, it's none of those. And so then Samuel asks Jesse, do you have another son? (laughs) 
because uh, so far these these are all the sons that I see, and God's said no to all of them. And Jesse says, "Yep, I have another son, but he's out tending to the sheep," which was not a high profile, popular job. Uh, it wasn't the job that would be considered kingly back then. But that is what David is doing. He's keeping sheep. And so Samuel said, well, go get that son. Send and get him, for we're not going to settle this matter until he comes over here. And when David arrived, the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So, once again, God operating well outside of our realm of expectation. Or understanding. Or understanding, which is a pattern that should continue uh, and is going to continue and is something that we should expect from God ourselves. Uh, so oftentimes I think we miss the hand of the Almighty because we're looking for something that necessarily makes sense to us. We're looking for him to work in a way that we would do it. And those words given to Samuel are words that can be given to us. Don't look on the appearance of things. And that's not just on people, but on situations. Mm -hmm. Don't look on the situation and draw your conclusions because you think this makes sense or not. No. I see everything. You don't. And so the answer is trust. Samuel couldn't see more than seven sons, but yet God brought him to this man because <laughs> God saw David in the field and brought him there. And it will be God who brings David through his kingship despite all of his failures, despite all of his many sins. Again, not because David was somehow better mm -hmm. than Saul, but he did have, he was a man that had a heart for God's heart. And there's so much we can't touch on in these single episodes of these great people. But we've, we've touched on the fact that this is the king God chose, and he's going to bring his Savior through the line of David. But I, when I think of David, I always think of one of his psalms in Psalm 51 that really, to me, is what communicates what it means to be a man after God's own heart. David, like I said, committed murder to cover up adultery. David had many, many sins that when you look at it on the outside, when you look at the appearance, you're like, why is David so special? Well, you're not going to see it on the outside. Instead, this is what I believe God saw on the inside of David's heart. Psalm 51 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
We pray our time together in God's Word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com. To find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection.